As an industrial water treater, you have to do so much. You have to know about so many things. Chemistry, physics, environmental, electrical, and the list goes on. But did you ever think that list should include cyber protection? Who's got time for that? Well, hackers have plenty of time to find your vulnerabilities and hold your valuable information hostage. 43% of all cyber attacks happen to small businesses. Small businesses are not prepared to defend against cyber attacks. The cyber threat protection experts at Reinert Consulting Group have been helping water treatment companies with strategies to protect their valuable data. Here's the thing about Reinert Consulting Group. They understand what water treatment companies need to defend against these attacks. From training to software, Reinert Consulting Group is your one-stop shop for protecting your valuable data. After all, where would you be without your data? Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber to find out more. That's scalinguph2o.com forward slash cyber. Don't wait before it's too late. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And Scaling Up Nation, thank you for listening. It delights me each and every week that we have so many members of the Scaling Up Nation and so humbled that just a little more than four years ago when we started this podcast, it was just me and a microphone, and I was hoping one or two people would listen to it. Well, we've got thousands of people listening to this podcast now in over 80 countries. That just blows my mind. Thank you for everybody in the Scaling Up Nation. Something I want to ask the people in the Scaling Up Nation is, are you a member of the Association of Water Technologies, the AWT? Now, if you practice the same type of water treatment that I do, you need to be a member of AWT. Now, there's so many water treatment professionals out there that listen to this podcast. I know not everybody practices water the exact same way in the exact same area. So if it's not the AWT for you, find out which organization is going to do all of the things that I'm getting ready to talk about and join. But with that, I want to ask you if you are the same type of water treater that I am in the same type of water treatment industry, you need to be a member of AWT. Now, note I didn't say you should be. I said you need to be. Throughout my career, I have given a lot of time to the AWT. Now, I mean a lot of time. Now, that gift of time was rewarded with a vast expansion of the knowledge that I entered that organization with. I expanded my knowledge not only on water treatment, but also business. I am so much further along because I decided not only to join, but I decided to volunteer to become involved. And because of that, 
I created lifelong friendships. If you are not a member of AWT, go to awt.org and sign up today. If you are a member of AWT, make sure you are taking advantage of the tons of member benefits that they have available so you can get the most out of your membership. Now listen, if all you do is join an organization and pay your dues, folks, you should not join to begin with. If you get involved, that's where you're going to make that an investment. So change simply paying an invoice to making an investment. You do that, and I promise whatever organization you join, it will pay you back tenfold. Now, for those members of the AWT, I hope one of the member benefits that you are taking advantage of is going to the annual convention. It's going to be in Providence, Rhode Island, September 22nd through 25th. And I'm mentioning this because I'm going to be there and I want you to come find me if you are there. That is my favorite thing to hear directly from members of the Scaling Up Nation. And I love it when you give me your ideas and your feedback on this show because that's how we make this show better. So speaking of the convention, I want to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, Reinert Consulting. They're going to be walking around the AWT convention hall in black t-shirts, and these t-shirts say, I know your password. Now, I've worked with Mike and his crew for some time now, and I have to tell you that this t-shirt is not a falsehood. They can find out information about you and your company, and I guarantee they do know your password. It's because of that that I'm glad that I'm working with him and he's making my data more secure. He's training my company, all of my team members, that they are able to utilize email properly. He's putting systems in place so things are just happening in the background that we don't even have to worry about. He knows how to do all this stuff. So check him out with his black t-shirt. Trust me, give him enough time. He will find out what your password is. And after you said hello to Mike, you can find me hanging out in the Scranton Associates booth that's booth number 467, another one of this show's sponsors, I might add. And you can come and speak with me and let me know everything you want to tell me about this show. Now, Nation, I mentioned two of our sponsors. We have had dozens of sponsors on this podcast, and I'm so grateful for that. So many wonderful companies have offered to let you, the Scaling Up Nation, know about their products, but also to support the Scaling Up H2O podcast. When they do that, that allows me to keep our wonderful staff paid because they like to get paid. And that helps me do that so we can all produce this podcast for you. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about the process that I have when a sponsor approaches me. And by the way, I just won't let anybody sponsor this podcast. One, it has to be a product that I have used 
or a product that I would use because I see the value that it will bring to the scaling up nation. That's the criteria that I have. That's what makes it a win-win-win if we look at all the parties that are involved. And I hope knowing that makes you feel good about the things that you are hearing on this podcast. And speaking of that feeling good, you know when you decide to do something and you don't really know why, but everything just feels good about it. Well, that leads me to our next guest, and we're going to be talking about that very thing. We're going to be talking about neuroscience and what that means to all of us. My lab partner today is Larry Olson, founder and CEO of Apernio. Larry, how are you today? I am doing peachy. How are you doing today, Trace? I'm doing peachy as well, and I'm coming from the peach state. So is that why you said that? Oh, no, it's just very much of a, well, I don't believe in coincidences, but uh, I'm glad that I was in a, in a tune in alignment with you. There you go. It's, it's, it's working great already. Well, the members of the Scaling Up Nation are tuned in. They are listening. They want to find out who Larry Olson is and what are all the things that we're going to learn today during our conversation. So why don't we start with that? Who is Larry Olson? Well, Larry Olson is an individual who's been fortunate enough to um, get involved in neuroscience. And uh, I got involved in that just because of uh, a sister of mine who was born mentally delayed and uh, three years older than I was. And what happened is I learned about the power of labels and what that can do to a person's growth. And then through the years, I built a company around it and uh, called it Impernio, which was basically the aperture of a camera is how the image gets in to the camera or our brain. And Neo in Latin is new. So to really initiate change, people need to have it happen quite rapidly or they get discouraged because they're not getting the results they want. And when you don't get the results you want after a while, you label yourself. Well, I guess I'm not good at that. Or I guess I can only sell this much. Or I guess I'm only comfortable around. And whatever that attitude may be, those are learned behaviors. And genetics plays about 18% of who we are and the rest are learned behaviors, which means that when you understand how your brain works, not to the point where eyes glaze over, but where you go, wow, why have I been thinking the way I've been thinking? And it's not about shifting to positive thinking, Trace. It's about recognizing that, as the bumper sticker basically says, you know, we're the only ones holding ourselves back. Well, that may be a great statement, but how the heck do I release myself? How do I even know where I'm holding myself back? And so the company Apernio, standing for a new perspective, teaches people not how to change, but simply how to change their mind. And that's where our company is all about achievement acceleration. We help organizations get what they want in a much more efficient and uh, productive fashion where they're bringing all their associates along as well. And as we've learned from the Gallup studies, engagement is what it's all about. And if your people aren't engaged, they're going to end up going someplace else where they will feel more engaged. And that's, that's all about attitude. 
And so we help companies not only articulate and define themselves based on the new realities that they want, and we only work with high-performance organizations. I gave up working with broken ones years ago because they think they know why they're broken and they think they know everything anyway. And so it's difficult to get new ideas into someone whose mind's already made up. So that's where the real growth mindset comes from. Is there more that I can learn that when I apply to my business or my family, I start getting the results that are joyful, that make me feel good about who I am, and also more importantly, bring out the best in those around me. And so that kind of in a, in a little nutshell is, is the business that Apernio is in, is helping people accomplish what they want by simply learning how to change their minds rather than changing their people or trying to change themselves. Larry, today you have the Scaling Up Nation listening to you. And for your information, the Scaling Up Nation is made up of people that are technicians. They're out in the field. They're servicing clients. Salespeople that are out trying to get new business for their company. And then also company owners that are thinking, how do I make sure all of these gears are turning correctly and and everything's working efficiently? How do you help each one of those different groups? Well, the first question I have whenever I'm dealing with a, a new opportunity or a new client or anyone that has asked whether or not what I do would be a fit in their organization, because I don't believe in the sales side of it. I believe that people will buy what they want and what they see value in. So my first question is, is why are we having this conversation to begin with? What's not going on in your company that if you could find a way to to fulfill that or make it happen, whether it be increased sales or, you know, I want people that are more loyal or I don't want people to place limitations on themselves or, you know what, Lair, I've developed some attitudes about the people that work for me. And I've recognized now that I see more in this person than I see in that person. And when people recognize what that does to the people that are being perceived, and when someone says, when a, when a father introduces his son, when someone says, is that your son? And he says, yes, he's my academic one. What's the other son thinking? And so those are little attitudes that we pick up by watching people's performance. And we honestly think that the performance that we see, the results that we see, are what we can begin to expect of that person. And then without knowing it, we develop a belief, and then we only see that. This is what's so interesting about the brain. We only see the results that match the belief that we have. So when I ask people, what would you like to have happen, I generally get a pretty good idea of what their expectations are. And then when I say, would there be any value if your salespeople could sell more than they're currently selling, or that you could accomplish the things that are important to you as an owner, that right now you're finding obstacles that are holding you back, what value would you receive from that? And that's when I start to find out what obstacles they have in their mind. You know, Because one of the questions I ask, are there any habits, attitudes, beliefs, or expectations that you think could be holding anyone back at this particular point in time? And if they go, yes, I go, what are they? And that's when you find out from people how they have started to develop beliefs about what's not possible rather than finding beliefs out about what is possible. And what is possible, by the way, Trace, is not what you've been able to find out through the evidence of the work that you've done up to this point. What is possible is what is called vision. 
what would the ultimate end result look like? And this is where I like to build skepticism. I like to ask, would there be any value if you could do twice what you're doing now and half the time with twice the fun? Does anybody say no to that? And nobody ever says no, but nobody ever agrees in their mind. They say yes on the outside and inside they go, well, how the hell are you going to do that? If that was possible, I'd already be doing it. We're working as hard as we can now. And you're thinking that, see, here's one of the beliefs people have. They think that if they're working harder or smarter, their results are going to change. Okay, you can work really hard at that. You can get as intelligent as the, more intelligent than anybody in the room. But that's not necessarily going to change results. Because what you learn have to have to learn how to do is to think differently. Give you an example about the power of beliefs and how quickly they're formed. Trace, have you ever met anybody who's not punctual? I have. Okay. How many times did they need to be late before you started to kind of develop an attitude about this person, whether they were disrespectful because everybody else got there on time or time wasn't important to them or, you know, whatever? How long did it take for you to come up with that in your own mind? With me, not long at all. That is one of my buttons. Okay. So there's a story behind why punctuality is important to you, isn't there? There's also a story behind why the person's late. But most leaders don't wait to hear the story. They just realize that this is not in alignment with my belief systems. And so they start to see the person differently. Now, here's what's interesting. Now that we've got a belief about this person's not punctual, what happens when the person shows up on time? Somebody gets sarcastic. I guess that's true. But your watch break? Uh, you know what? <laughs> so now think about the guy or the gal who did everything they could to finally get on time. Did it make any difference for them? No. All they got was laughter or sarcasm or disbelief. Now here's the power of our brain, the science behind our brain. Our brain is accessing all the information that it's receiving, and it's receiving over 30 trillion bits of information a second. Now, imagine if you were consciously aware of 30 trillion bits of information. You'd short out, right? You wouldn't be able to discern anything. So what we have that connects our spinal cord to the brain is called the reticular activating system. And what it does is it screens out anything that we haven't predetermined is important to us. So we'd predetermined that this person is not punctual. Now, when we see punctuality, even though we saw the evidence, it doesn't change how we believe. So in order to maintain our sanity, in order to be right, we get sarcastic or we just believe that, well, I won't count on this any longer. And it, the guy or gal is going to have to show up on time quite a few times before we go, oh, I see now that they've realized the importance of being on time. Well, Larry, I'm a fixer. I, I, I love to fix things. So in your scenario, do we need to fix my perception of that person being late? Or does the person need to fix their perception? Or is it both? And how do we do that? Okay. First off, I think everybody would agree that the only person you're in any danger of changing is yourself. And all you're going to do is change your mind first before the weight goes off or before you make more money, or before anything. You've got to get the, the belief, don't you? And we call that, a lot of people call it goal, I call it vision. Vision is something that is greater than self that really is the ultimate destiny that you want to arrive to, whether it's in business or family or whatever. Goals are steps you take to get there. 
Now, if it's just goals, then drive and energy is gone as soon as you accomplish the goal. So when a salesperson makes all their money in the first week, mentally they take the next three weeks off because they reached their goal. But if their vision is a cabin in, and I want that lake place, and I need that boat, then they recognize, wow, what a great first week. Imagine what I can do for the next three. Because their vision is stronger than just getting to the goal. And so that's another thing that is important to people. But back to your question, I can't get you to change your mind. I can just find out where your mind's already made up. Then ask you, in a perfect world, Trace, what would you like to have happen? And you may even say this isn't possible, and it's only not possible because of your current beliefs. But if I can get you to start going beyond that, now we can recognize what are your obstacles. So I can help you identify them. I'm not going to point them out because that'll create pushback and defensiveness, right? Even if you ask me to help you get better, that doesn't give me permission now to tell you what you need to do. You have to discover it for yourself if it's going to be sustainable. Then my job as a leader is help you recognize when I see behavior that's standing in your way. And I can go, you know, Trace, you said you wanted to make X amount of money. And you go, yeah, I did. Well, I noticed you've been spending a lot of time on the phone. Is that with clients or, and you go, well, no, it's, it's with, and I said, well, do you think that's going to assist you getting what you want? No. Okay. And then I'll just let you decide what you need to do. But if you told me, yeah, I'm making a lot of cold calls, you know, and I've got this vision about how I'm going to increase my own ability to sell more to our clients, I'm glad I didn't tell you, how come you got the phone in your hand? Leaders are so quick to want to correct and fix that sometimes they don't recognize the carnage that's left behind because they didn't find the full story out. That is 100% true, and I have tested that many a time. <laughs> So your answer is, let's help people discover for themselves where they're holding themselves back. And I can teach people how to do that. And it's, and it's very easy. It's not difficult. And people say, well, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Well, that's why I have a, a business. And that's why I'm able to do what I do. Because most people just aren't aware of the fact that they're the ones that are causing the reality that they're experiencing. Yeah, I love that you said we're really the only people that can change our minds So what we yeah. do about it. Yeah, and th so that's where you get into Gandhi's statement, be the change you wish to see in the world. Start modeling the behaviors you'd like to see in others instead of trying to direct others to those behaviors. My favorite book of all time is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. And I'm just thinking about habit one, circle of influence, circle of concern, so many of us are within the circle of concern. We're worried about other people, other things, things that we don't have direct influence over. But it sounds like what you're saying is we have to stay within that circle of influence. Otherwise, we're just spinning our wheels. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and we've really got to like people. Now, that might be an issue for some. Yes. Well, then they need to find people who do and bring them onto their organization as leaders. They can provide the financial wherewithal for their company. They can provide the ideas of what they'd like to accomplish as an organization. But when I go into a company, I have seen companies, years ago, Pepsi was a client, one of my bigger clients, and they spent $10 million on temperament studies. 
Now, a temperament study, basically, Trace, was to find out what quadrant you were in. You know, were you real social or you kind of an outcast? And did you like to hear the story? Did you just want to just tell me what time it is? Don't tell me how to build a watch. And the philosophy was that I'd find out where you're coming from. You'd find out where I'm coming from. And then I'd make sure that I respected where you were coming from by asking you about it. Hey, how was your day? Even though that didn't seem important to me because I just wanted to know what are you doing with your day? And I came in kind of like, you know, Columbo and, and I got one more question. And that was, what about the person? What about the attitude that an amiable may have to an anal? And, you know, even though I'm sharing the how is your day, if my belief is I could care about how your day is, then all of that money would go to waste. So rather than throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you made this investment. Now let's make this investment work. So it's important that you're compatible with the programs that are already in a company so they don't feel like they have to decide, I need to give up this one to take this one on. It's more like, let's make what you're doing even more efficient. Because if you don't have people listening to your great training programs, what's it worth? We've had temperament expert Kathleen Edelman come on twice to the podcast, and she's got a great way of making the temperament studies very simple. But the way she trains those is she turns it around, and it's not it's not uh, that I'm, I'm going to change my language so uh, I can manipulate you or, or I can get what I want better. She uses the statement that the words I use to you, Larry, are gifts that I choose to give you. So if I look at my language as a gift and for you to truly be able to receive that gift, I've got to give it in your temperament. I tell you, that's a study that has really helped me. But I will say that I've been to some other, I guess they weren't temperaments, they were more personality studies, that it was all about manipulation. You know, you're not, never going to accomplish anything with manipulation. But I love how, you know, a lot of consultants will come in and they will say, uh, no, everything you're doing is wrong. You got to do it this way. And you're saying, well, what, what do you have to work with? You know, you've done all of this stuff. How do we make this work within the, the guardrails that you're giving me? Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I know what my lane is and, and I don't want to get into somebody else's lane. I want to find out what their vision is for why they think that lane's effective. And what I'm looking for in that is I'm looking for where can an attitude come into play to derail that? If I'm taught, if somebody says I need to like Michelle, or I can go to another company where Michelle doesn't work any longer. And unfortunately, this is what happens to a lot of people. They drive to work thinking about what it's going to be like when I see Michelle this morning. And they want Michelle to change, or they've got to change their company. No. Why don't we ask the person, how would you like Michelle to be? When people first, and this is what's difficult about giving answers without providing the education first, I've got an education that everybody in the company goes through. It's a day and a half, and this is the full boat, uh, and teaches them how they think and how thinking affects performance. So before you start to develop visions in the organization and how we want to treat each other, People have to have a common language and they have to understand, first off, where they're holding things back and where they've built attitudes about other people. And so when they recognize I'm in no danger of changing Michelle, 
but I'm allowing Michelle to determine how I feel whenever I'm around her. What happens is, well, how would you like to be with Michelle? How would you like to be experiencing her? And what happens when I when I start to see the best in Michelle, instead of waiting for Michelle to change and become someone I can see the best in, I am changing my beliefs first. So when I teach leaders, first see everyone as punctual. Then when someone shows up late, I'm not sarcastic. I'm going to go, Trace, hey, what happened? Oh man, the traffic was so bad today. And I'm, and in my mind, I begin thinking, yeah, everybody had to go through the traffic. That somehow they seem to get here on time. As soon as I even start thinking like that, the average individual, check this out, uses about a hundred words and beats those up to death every day. They, you know, unless they got a vocabulary class and they learned ostentatious and they're going to add that to the party. Generally, we keep repeating the same words. Well, this, those words have as much power as our body language and tone of voice. We used to believe body language and tone of voice shared about 90% of the message and 10% were words. Well, the studies that have been done just blow that out of the water. Every message we send with our body language and tone of voice, okay, if, I, if you ask me to do something and I go, I just raise my eyebrows. I've sent a message, haven't I? Absolutely. You will only interpret that message based on your experiences, not mine. And if that reminds you of rejection or whatever, then you've already determined what was meant by that. And there's no way you're going to find out. Because why do you need to find that information you already know? So when you find out that you and I send over 250 thousand messages to the other individual just with our body language and tone of voice before we even open up our mouth. You know, you and I are picking up messages, not only auditorily, but we have the opportunity to kind of view each other, don't we? Correct. The, the podcast people do not have that benefit. So when you ask me a question and you grab your cup and start drinking out of it, I could go, well, he wasn't very interested in that answer. Or I could go, he's thirsty. And he's interesting enough and intelligent enough that he can hear me as well. I have a choice, don't I, in which direction I go. But if I don't understand that, then I could go, well, he certainly doesn't be interested. And I could spoil the rest of the podcast without even trying. You know, I, I'm reminded when you were talking about Michelle of a story and I was just upset. Somebody did something to me. And of course, I know now that I chose how I reacted to that. But at the time, no, it was that person made me mad. And I couldn't get over this. And a good friend of mine kind of looked at me kind of in the way you just did earlier. And he said, Trace, how much do you charge for rent in your head? And that just got me thinking, you know what? He's not, this other guy isn't thinking about me. He, he did whatever he did. He's, he's down the road. I'm the one that's keeping this mind space occupied and not allowing myself to be productive on other things. That was a comment that somebody made to me that I just instantly got. And when I start getting that way, that's a phrase I say to myself now. For somebody that's just hearing this for the first time, what would you say they should do to realize that, you know, maybe I should think differently about this? Yeah. Well, if, they, if they're interested in improving results, okay, because there have to be some parameters, if they're interested in improving relationships, then... One of the things they have to think about is if I finish up with this, how many, the messages we send with body language and tone of voice, 250,000, 
against 100 words. If you put 250,000 warriors on this side of the line and 100 warriors on this side, which group's going to win out every single time? Okay, so since I now I go, well, what sends those messages of body language and tone of voice? My beliefs. Where did I get those? Through my experiences. Whether my parents brought me up believing something or whether I heard it or read it or, you know, we start to get some truths about life, don't we? So what I would suggest is when someone says something to you and you have the opportunity to find out about it rather than internalize it, you're not charging any rent for it, but you just allowed it to live with you, right? is this whole comment about circumstance to begin with is the stance you take within the circle you find yourself in. If you literally break that term down, this is where when you wake up in the morning, think about, for instance, W. Clement Stone. Are you familiar with him, Trace? I am not. He was an industrialist back in the early 1900s. He financed a guy named Dale Carnegie. Him I'm familiar with. We're familiar with him, okay. He was an inverse paranoid. His belief was the universe was conspiring to do him good. Since we get to choose beliefs because we've already got them by experiencing something and then talking to ourselves about it, which creates a neural connection, which we call a habit or an attitude. So we don't have to think about it anymore. We just react. 99% of people think about what's ever on their mind and less than 1% know how they think. Theoretically, you've heard statements that 95% of our day is unconscious. We already have, by the time a child's 10, they have over 100,000 attitudes. So all we have to do is just react to every situation that comes up until we learn something new. And that is, oh, how much rent am I charging for that? So all of a sudden you have a little tool now, don't you? So you don't have to ruminate on it anymore and spoil your day. Well, this guy's having the time of his life is you had a correction there. So the correction from where I come from is the vision has got to be stronger than current reality. My book is called Get a Vision and Live It. And what that means is, is like going back to Demia Clement Stone, his vision was something wonderful is going to happen today because he was an inverse paranoid. First thing in the morning, something wonderful is going to happen today. What's he looking for all day long? Something good. Something good. Now, let's be realistic. When something went wrong, you know what his attitude was? Here's what what beginners do. Oh, I'm going to try that. Wow, what a great idea. You know, something wonderful is going to happen today. And then they, you know, they go and they crack an egg and it goes into the burner and doesn't go into the pan. Well, so much for wonderful. I tried. Okay. Most people will try three times before they give up. So worst, only person you should never give up on is yourself, or you'll learn how to give up on others. So what he would say is, what am I to learn from this? Okay. Logically, that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? I believe that this person just made me feel like this because they were late. What's their story? And this is something that I offer everyone is find out what their story is, because 99 times out of 100, you'll be glad you didn't automatically react with some disciplinary action. I don't know if you're aware of this, but 95% of corporations in America today motivate by fear. I think that's because it's the only way people know how to motivate. Exactly. Because that's how they were probably instructed as they were coming up the ranks. You bet. And here's, here's the issue. 
Do you know how much of a person's performance based on what they're capable of, you get to realize when they're motivated by fear? Less than 10%. And so what I teach people how to do is be motivated by value, not only in themselves, but for their organization. You know, why would we want to? You get into Senex, you know, he popularized the term why. Simon Senex did, okay? And start with why. And basically all that means is, is what's driving me? What's driving me leads to how do I motivate myself? And when I said fear, I'm sure there was a lot of listeners that said BS. I don't motivate myself like that because they think it's a life and death scenario. No, fear is simply trying to avoid loss. So how come you're on time? I don't want to be disrespected by the group. That's not motivated by value. If it's motivated by value, why do you want to be on time? I love setting a great example. I like getting my best seat possible. I like to be ready and, and be focused before things start. So I'm still not dealing with something when the meeting begins. That's value, isn't it? That's definitely value. That is more carrot, less stick. Exactly. All the reading that you can possibly do, they're now talking about mindfulness, I wasn't into mindfulness in the 70s, not saying that I had any edge on anybody, but I had that head start with my sister on what happens when we label people and when we make fun and when we tease, because man, I got in fights for my sister when they teased her and we'll fight for our family, won't we? Okay. So we'll fight for our beliefs too and let others die for theirs. Larry, you brought up Simon Sinek and that got me thinking, that's one of my favorite books, Start With Why. I read another book, and I'm trying to remember the name. It was, I believe it was called Double Double. It was written by the founder of the 1-800-GOT-JUNK company. I can't remember the author's name. But in that book, he was saying that the key to unlocking the potential in all of your team was the entrepreneur, the owner, sharing the story of why he started the company. And when he started asking the question, how many entrepreneurs out there, how many business owners actually share that story? It was almost none. But then he went on to find that the people that did, it just ignited this fire amongst all of his people. And it allowed them to know basically what they were doing, what they were fighting for, why they were coming to work every day. Why don't more business owners do that? I think there's too many vendors and salespeople out there that have the answer. And the answer is to do it their way because that's how they make a living. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what makes America, you know, the wheels move is we need, we need buyers and we need sellers. You know, we need to keep the capitalistic system going. And I think their heart's in the right spot and their intent's in the right spot, but we lose sight. We take, leaders take for granted the fact that why isn't everybody as excited as I am about this? And so what they try to do is they try to get their people motivated and they try to get them excited. And, and like you just mentioned, they don't share their story because, you know, everybody's got a story and yip, yip, yo, you know, that I happen to gather some money and I happen to get some people that wanted to be a part of it, but they probably wanted to be a part of it because they were enamored by the leader, not by what the leader was attempting to accomplish. Because you can be selling toilet paper and being having the time of your life, or you can be dreading going to work. What's the difference? And here's what I suggest. It's not only finding out what the story is, but what if you let your people be a part of the story? 
I will never allow a company when I'm working with it to develop their vision in isolation. They'll spend a hundred grand on getting a sense of purpose and it goes in a drawer. Yeah, no way and no buy-in, right? None. Or they'll have a big banquet and they'll sell the, you know, everybody's supposed to get excited about it, but they didn't get to participate in it. It's no difference in getting great discounted tickets at, at Disneyland and forcing your kids to go there because you got all this, this great buy. You want to have a great vacation, find out what your kids want to do and then try to figure out a place where we can all do that. The difference now is you can enjoy the ride there because they're not fighting one another. We can all go back to the, didn't we all want to do, oh yeah, how much longer is it going to be? Well, what could we do in the meantime? Well, let's do da, 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 da. And that's how you operate a company is what are we doing in the meantime? Are we saying that millennials will have two to three, five jobs within the next two to three years? If we believe that, then we don't even expect them to hang out very long. They got onboarding now, and now they're coming up with this offboarding. They're coming up with, we have to show people that will help them with their escape strategy because they're only going to be here two to three years later. That's becoming now a way of selling people into a company is we'll help you leave. Wow. Yes, it's the latest and greatest. But why why do they want to go anywhere else anyway? Because they don't have a sense of purpose. There's no why that's causing them to go, oh, I can't wait to get there. Why? Because I get to be a part of. So let me ask you this. As a business owner and the other business owners that are listening, how do we help somebody figure that out? Well, you can give me a phone call. Okay. And just find out if, if, if this is something that would fit within your organization. Because if I find out that you aren't serious about growing and developing your organization, I won't work with a leader that says, fix my people. It would be easier if you would just do that, Larry, just to be honest with you. Exactly. But then I'd go, okay, how's your life going? I've had companies that have brought me in just so the leader could improve his relationship with his wife or her husband. And then, oh, and by the way, it'd be great if, if my people had wonderful lives as well. Now, that's kind of selfish, but that didn't have anything to do with improving the bottom line. The byproduct is when you take care of your people, the bottom line will exceed your wildest expectations. Absolutely. Larry, you mentioned your book earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. All of the background and, and information necessary to kind of buy into what I've been sharing is in the book, Get a Vision and Live It. And I wrote it because so many people were seeing their lives change. One guy was ready to get a divorce. And then he realized is because his wife had done something years ago and he kept seeing that in her. So it didn't matter what she did. He always recognized that. She's the one who said I'd never amount to anybody. And she was upset. You know, the kids were challenged. A lot was going on, but he locked, locked onto that, right? Didn't charge in any rent, but let it ruminate over and over and over. And then when he recognized through the education that, wow, that's not what I want in a relationship. That's not what I want in a marriage. That's not what I want my children to grow up to see and witness. And he made a change in his own perception rather than waiting for his wife to change. And, you know, I am a testament to this. I'll sometimes have a bet with people in a company when I'm doing my program. I'll say, who thinks they've had the most jobs in their life? And people will go two, three, maybe somebody will say five or six. 
I'll say by 1983, a buddy and I had a bet to see who had the most jobs. And I beat him by one. I had 23. He had 22. Wow. It sounds like you're a millennial. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And I'd go, but guess why I left the job? Because I either wasn't getting respected or wasn't getting paid enough. Guess who I brought to the next job? Guess what happened again and again until I realized there was a common denominator in here. It wasn't that I wasn't getting respect. Even if I was, I wouldn't believe it. I'd feel they manipulated it because you you got to change your people's minds and allow them to do it themselves or they're going to interpret everything you do anyway. And they do now. That's why we don't get all the buy-in, no matter how excited we are and what big motivational person we brought in. People have to recognize for themselves. I had to recognize for myself because I did it in marriages and relationships too. I'm in my third marriage. I mean, I'm good at pointing the finger. And now Diane and I will celebrate 24 years in September. Outstanding. I figured it out, Trace. It's not me. And until I choose what it is I want to see in the world and in others, I'll only see that which matches my beliefs. And I'll do it with people. I'll do it in relationships. And you know what I'll do? I'll try to develop techniques so that I don't have to do it as much. Larry, if somebody wants to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, best way is to go to a, a success at Apernio.com or go to our website, Apernio.com. And then, you know, just reach out. And what happens is, is when I hear about reaching out, I always hear that there's a financial remuneration involved in that. There is nothing like that because it's about relationships. And if you and I decided to work together, Trace, we'd have to first decide whether we wanted to work together, <laughs> let alone what we wanted to accomplish. Could we strengthen one another? Could I maybe take care of your weaknesses and you take care of mine without us having to learn that as well? Because when I get sick, I don't go to med school. You know, I don't know about you. I'll let somebody else who's already done that. And, and what it does is it allows us to accomplish what we want sooner so that we can enjoy life to a much larger degree than struggling and trying to get there. And I want that to sound fanciful. I want people to be skeptical. I want them to challenge me because I have not been unsuccessful in that up to this point in my life because I've got nothing to win but allowing you to get what you want. Well, we will make sure to have all those ways you mentioned on our show notes page to make it very easy for people to see if they can hold that statement true or not. So uh, I'm sure you're up for that challenge. I'm not quite done with my questions yet. I, I did want to ask you a couple of lightning round questions if you have time to stick around. I'm up for it. All right. So you now have the ability to go back in time and talk to your former self on your very first day of doing what you are doing now. What advice would you give yourself? I would have listened more. I thought I was a good listener, but I realized all I was listening to was to make sure that I was getting what I wanted. And I thought it was altruistic enough that if I got what I wanted and everybody else would be, would be really happy. But I, I didn't, I would spend more time finding out the why behind the answers that I get. And you do that by, what do you mean by that? If you said you wanted to be happy, I'd ask you, what's happiness mean to you? 
And I would help you find out because I'd question your question. One of those guys. Yeah, but you'd be comfortable with it because you're discovering something you weren't even aware of. No, I totally get it because uh, I'm going to define happiness totally different than how you're going to define happiness. And if we're each going off of our own definitions, how are we going to help each other with that? Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. What are some of your favorite books? Well, I mentioned Simon Sinek's Start With Why. It's a great one. Yeah. And it just resonated me because that's kind of been unconsciously going on in my life is, is why. And we grew up asking that a lot, didn't we? Sure. Children can drive their parents crazy. Why? 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 Clean up your room. Why? And we never, we never really asked them, you know, why do you think I'm asking this of you? It's just kind of get a feel for where are they coming from. So that was a great one. Another one that uh, I discovered in uh, 1968 in a laundromat in college was Maxwell Malt Psycho-Cybernetics. Somebody just left it there by the detergent? How'd you? Yeah, left it there. And I picked it up and it told this beautiful story about this woman. He was a plastic surgeon who he had botched the nose job. Okay. And he didn't want to remove the bandages because he knew what the outcome was going to be. Finally, he couldn't stall any longer and he removed the bandages. And she said, well, do you have a mirror? <laughs> you know, I'm still holding back. Showed her the mirror and she said, oh my God, I'm beautiful. And he realized, take yourself out of the equation and let people tell you what they need and what they want and how they see things. And it changed my whole perspective, you know, especially with what was going on with, with my sister and the differences that were being created by people looking at her as less than. What a great gift somebody left you in a laundromat. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I know it. Sounds like that just created the, the path that you followed your entire life. It was a domino. Absolutely. Yep. And there were a lot of sidetracks. <laughs> when they make a movie about your life, who plays you? You know, I thought about that. I thought about that a lot. And, um, you know, I think, I think uh, Tom Hanks would be a um, good one. And I say that because he's, he can get beyond the typecast. And get into the role. And I think he could do a great job. My wife always mentions, and I can't think of the actor's name right now because somebody said I looked like him, but I think that he could do the best portrayal of the genuineness and sincerity of what my purpose is. And that's wanting to bring out the best in others. And it's kind of selfish because when I do, it brings out the best of myself. We all have motives for doing what it is that we do. <laughs> yes. and, and that's not a bad one. All right, my last question, you can now speak with anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? It would be, it would be Christ. And I say that not from a, from a biblical perspective or a, a second coming or any of that. I say it because of the influence. I'd want to know, you know, what, what was the essence and what was the why behind, you know, standing up to the mainstream and, and not being fearful. And we all have answers to that. I'd like to find out what, what his was. You know, I'm looking at you and I think Ed Harris could play you. What do you think? That was it. That was Good it? for you. Yes. <laughs> My wife would applaud you now. Thank you. <laughs> well, Larry, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. This is a topic that's a little bit different for our show, but I, I've got to tell you, I know you've gotten a lot of people to think out there. 
I know a lot of people are thinking, wait a minute, it's my problem. It's not somebody else's problem. I need to deal with me because that's the only power that I truly have. And I think you've unlocked that in a lot of people. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, thank you very much. That, ma that means the world to me. I appreciate that. When you have that feeling that something is a good idea and you don't know why, well now, thanks to Larry, thanks to all the help that he gave us during this interview, we're starting to understand that a little bit better. Nation, so many of you are sharing your experiences with James's challenge by hashtagging to hashtag JC21 and hashtag scaling up H2O. I have to say, I love when I tell you about a James's challenge or when I introduce James so he can tell you about the James's challenge. And then I start seeing all these different postings come in. Thank you for that. If you haven't kept up with James's challenge, that's okay. You can binge challenge. People are doing that all the time. Matter of fact, we had people that did all the challenges and they played bingo and those people submitted that bingo card to me and they got a special Scaling Up H2O t-shirt. If you're one of those people, please wear that to the AWT if you're going to be there at their convention. Well, folks, I know you are all waiting for the next James's challenge. Well, you don't have to wait anymore. Here's James. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Measure conductivity of water entering and leaving a water softener. Do you see a difference? Is it just a few microsiemens or a lot? Try measuring right after a softening unit has come back online after regeneration, and then later on in its run. Did this timing make a difference? If so, why? Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Thanks, James. Nation, do you have something you want to hear on this show? If you do, please I need that information. Don't keep that locked up inside your head. Give it to me so my staff can book that guest that you want me to interview. Give it to me so I can start writing the next episode that answers that question that you have. How do you do that, you might ask? Well, you can go to scalinguph2o.com and we have either a show ideas page or you can even leave a voicemail because you're too busy to type it out. And if you ask me a question on that voicemail function, I will play it on the air and get your questions answered. Folks, if you don't do that, I cannot bring you a new show each and every Friday, like next Friday. And until next Friday, have a great week, folks.
One of the things I hear so often about the Rising Tide Mastermind is about how well the members in the Rising Tide Mastermind listen to other people. Folks, we are programmed to give quick advice even if we don't have all the information. Through the issue solving track that we practice in the Rising Tide Mastermind, you will learn how to ask better questions so you can give better advice and that will shorten the road for whatever issue you're trying to solve. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.